Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing all right? We're going to be talking about lamenting today. Well, we all have a common lament. Did you know that? Stink bugs. Can we have a corporate lament about stink bugs? I am so done with these things. I swear, I think we've probably killed several hundred of them, at least. No, they're just nasty creatures. You know, they get in your clothes. We had a clothes basket with some clothes in it. Pull them out there, and, and there they are. You know, I love God's creation, and he's done an amazing job that I could do without stink bugs. Amen? Thank you. And then early on, I made the mistake of crushing them. Don't do this. Do not do this. It, it, that's why they call them stink bugs, okay? So, so we've got a corporate lament done already, and we haven't even started, right? Anybody needs a Bible, just raise your hand. We'd like you to track along with us as we begin the lament part of our spiritual journey. So first off, let's just look over our shoulder. What have we been doing for the last seven, eight series? What is Pastor Arvin talking about? Anybody? The Psalms, yes. And what have we been talking about in the Psalms here? God's attributes, right? God's character, who he is, as displayed in the Psalms and other places. And there's a reason we did this, and I want you to understand this. Pastor R spent a lot of time talking about God's faithfulness, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his unchangeability, all these qualities that define God. Uh, And if he doesn't have those, he's no longer God. Because you can't be just a little bit powerful, can you? Either you're all powerful or you're not. It's like being a little bit pregnant. You either are or you ain't. So these qualities that God has, they are 100% or they're not at all. And there's a reason we set this up, because now we're going to start looking at what it means to lament. And we're going to talk about what it means to lament, and we're going to talk about what it means to cry out to God. And if you don't know who the God is you're crying out to, why would you bother lamenting? Why would I lament to someone who isn't all-powerful, who doesn't know everything, who doesn't love me, who isn't personal, who doesn't care? Why would I bother doing that? There's plenty of people I can lament to who don't care. You know? I want to lament to someone who cares, someone who can change things, who has power to change my life and deliver me from my problems. So now as we start this next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about laments. I'm going to be talking about laments this morning, laments uh, psalms, talk about why we lament, the need to lament, and then next week, Pastor Tim's going to come up and talk about Psalm 55, continue talking about what it means to lament. And then on the third Sunday, Pastor Eric is going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. This is Audience Participation Week. And this is what we're building up to. We want each of you to write your own lament. Yeah, you thought you got to stand here and stare at the speaker every week. Au contraire. We are an audience participation, a Congress participation kind of church, and we are going to ask you to write your own lament in two weeks. So I want to prepare you for that. I want you to get ready for that. All right, you look at me like, I don't have any laments, Pastor Dan. I have nothing. I'll get you some. If you're missing laments, I will get you a few. You can share some of mine. We'll we'll share our laments. But the reality is we all have laments, don't we? We all have something we need to complain about. There's something going on in our lives that we need to lay out before God with complete authenticity and transparency. And I'm here to tell you he wants to hear it, but I want you to understand where we're heading here. You're going to get to do some writing. Okay? All right. How many lament psalms are there out of the 150? There's about 67 that either are in total or in part lament psalms. Let's talk about what a lament psalm is. Here's five parts to a lament psalm. Five parts. Number one, a plea to God for help and deliverance. Lament psalms often start with, help me, save me, deliver me. That's the plea for help and deliverance. The second part, the second element of a lament psalm is the nature of the lament. What are you lamenting about? What is the 
What is lament proper? What is going on? What's the cause of the hurt and pain? Like the bad guys are winning. Or I'm depressed because I can't seem to get anything right. I'm, I'm, I'm overcome with my own feelings. There's all kinds of things the psalmist lament about and that we lament about. So that's the second part. The third is a petition or request for action. In other words, we're asking God to do something, not just to hear us, because we know he can do something. So we're asking him to, to do something, including judgment on our enemies. Anybody have any enemies? Yeah? We got one, don't we? At least one. Who's our enemy, guys? Satan. He is the big enemy. So if you are the nicest person on the planet and you have no other enemies, you still have one as a follower of Jesus Christ. You better not forget that either. Some of us have enemies, though. Some of us have people who oppose us in our workplaces and our lives, different places. Sometimes it's neighbors. And if you don't have any enemies, I'll get you some of those, too. Psalmist had plenty of enemies, didn't he? And he talks about those. So the petition for request or action is the third part. Fourth part, and here's the pivotal piece. In every lament psalm, there is a place where the psalmist turns the corner, where he pivots away from his lament and out of his pain and anguish and turns toward God as he remembers who God is. He turns the corner. He pivots. He goes another direction. He remembers God's faithfulness, what he's done for him, and he moves into praising God. And every lament psalm will be that piece. I'll show you a couple here in a minute. And then finally, the fifth piece is a commitment to praise and trust God apart from the circumstances. A commitment to trust and praise God apart from the circumstances. You read these lament psalms at the end, the psalmist just goes into this rant about how wonderful God is, how amazing it is, how good his works are, how he deserves to be praised, and the commitment to praise God. Now remember here, as we go through this, the psalmist's circumstances hadn't changed yet. It's easy to praise God when he comes and delivers us and life's good again, right? But I'm here to tell you, God is not a vending machine. We don't put in our good works. We don't put in our tithes. We don't put in our coming to church in the morning, and out comes the bottom, a good life. Some people think God's cosmic vending machine. It's not true. He doesn't always do that, does he? He lets us suffer. He brings things into our lives to grow us up. He brings crisis, things for us to lament about. All right, I'm going to break down Psalm 71 for you, so track with me here. I'm told I'm drinking, they're drinking out of a fire hose, and I apologize. Uh, but I want you to get uh, what this psalm is about uh, and look at the different parts of it because it's very prototypical of the other lament psalms. So Psalm 71 will be on the screen behind me. First thing that happens in this psalm, which is a little different, rather than a plea for help, what he says here is that he develops a resolute trust in God. He says, "In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge, which I, can always, which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. So he starts out by saying, God, I trust you. You are my rock. I believe in you. I know I can count on you. And then he goes into petitions. He talks about petitioning for deliverance from trouble. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men, for you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You have brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. So he's asking for help here. Deliver me from those evil men. Then he goes on to talk about his determination to praise God in the midst of trouble. And this is important, guys. He's determined to praise God no matter what's going on in his life. He says, I have become important. I've become laughable to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. So he's continuing to praise God even though things are going badly for him. And then next he continues more petitions. He's not done asking for help, is he? He says, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. You know, in our culture, if you get older, that's not necessarily a good thing in our culture, is it? 
They tend to put you out the pasture. If you're working for a company, they sort of show you the door if you get too old, don't they? We don't seem to have a lot of use for older folks. And the, the psalmist here is saying, Lord, don't do that to me. Don't forsake me. And when I'm old, my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. So he's asking for help. Come quickly before these bad guys get me, because they think you don't care about me in my old age. Praise God, he does care about us in old age. Anybody getting any younger in here? <laughs> nope, those birthdays keep on coming. Even if we don't celebrate them, they still happen. I just want to tell you that. You can ignore them if you want to. They keep happening. We're getting older, aren't we? All right, next is a call for judgment on my enemies. You ever wanted to call down judgment on your enemies? Yep. You ever want to say, God, get them? They're the bad guys? Guess what he's doing here? He's saying here in verse 13, he says, May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. We could all pray that at some point, couldn't we? And then the last part here, he talks about commitment to trust and praise God. But as for me, and here's one of those buts. I want you to look for the buts anytime in the, the lament songs because they show you where he is making the turn. He's making the turn here toward praise. He says, but for me, but as for me, I will always hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. All right, next he goes down memory lane. He's looking over his shoulder and saying, what's God done for me? Where has he been for me? And this is very important. If we're to move out of our lament and the praise, we've got to be able to look back because, let's face it, guys, we forget what God's done for us. The shelf life of God's good works in our life is pretty short. It's shorter than that bread that goes moldy on the shelves real fast, doesn't it? We don't remember, and he's remembering here. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. Though you have made me, made me see many troubles, many and bitter, I will restore, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. So he's saying, God, you were faithful to me in the past from my youth, and you will do it again. That's remembering. That's remembering what God's done for us. We've got to remember what he's done for us, because he has done so much for us, hasn't he? We just don't remember it. So I must remember it. And he, and he ends the psalm here with a commitment to praise God, determination to continue to praise God. He says, I'll praise you with the heart for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I who, you have, been re who have been redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Does that give you a flavor of what a lament psalm looks like? Now, many of them are just like that, where there's a plea for help, there's a petition, and yet there's a commitment, there's a turn there into praising God. And that's what I want us to be thinking about as we look about what it is we need to lament about. What is it that we need to lay before God? And then we need to be able to remember who he is, his attributes, his character, his unfailing love for us, turn that corner, and then praise him. All right? So what are the primary things we, we complain about? All right, so this lament begins with a plea for help. We cry out, cry out in distress. distress. Psalm 77, 1 says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. The meat is immediate, immediate and urgent, isn't it? He's not saying, get back to me sometime, God, when you've got a few minutes, when you're done in India. He's saying, I need help right now. Save me. Deliver me. Hear me. You ever felt that? You ever want to yell to God and say, hear me? Are you hearing me? I need you to hear me. I'm in trouble. Help me. And here's some other ways it comes out. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. 
Save me, O God. Incline thy ear, O Lord, and answer me. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. O God, hasten to deliver me. So this is urgent, isn't it? He wants God to come real soon. He wants God to, to show up now. He's crying out in his distress. All right, so who are we complaining to? Who is this God we complain to? We're back to the attributes, aren't we? Everybody remember the attributes? Give me five of them, okay? There was 12. Give me five of them. I'll settle for five. Get you a good, solid C+. Plus. Omniscient? What's that? Omnipotent? Omnipresent? What's that? Sovereign. What's that? Faithful. Boy, you're on a roll now. Keep going. What's that? Love and good. He's kind? Yes, he is. All right. How about just? Is he just? Okay. Is he a provider? And you guys are good. I got to tell you, you're better than the first service. Okay, don't, don't tell him I said that. But, and I know there's more of you, so that's really cheating, but that's okay. You guys did good. You know, and we say these things, and we know who God is. We have chapter and verse on it, but do we really, really, really believe it? Do we really believe that God is all-powerful? Because, again, either he is or he ain't. There is no middle ground on these attributes. Because if he's anything less, he, can, he is no longer God. He's done. And if he's no longer God, then he's like the rest of us. And guess what? You can't help me. I can't help you. I need someone who's sovereign, who's on top of the pile, who's all-powerful, who knows everything. That's what I need when I'm in a place of crisis. And God's the only one who fits the bill. So we're going to talk about how we're going to know where that's it. So who are we complaining to? The psalmist cries out to a trusted friend. And if you listen to David, it looks like he might be whining. Anyone think David's whining? Think David needs to suck it up, get his big boy pants on, and then the soldier on, you think? You know, I have heard people say that David is a whiner. That he just needs to suck it up, right? Well, he's a king of Israel. You know, he's a big dog. He's not one of us, but he is lamenting in great distress because he believes that God will hear him. Now, he doesn't say that right away, does he? He's asking God to hear him. He said, God, save me. You would think he didn't think God was hearing, but I'm here to tell you that the psalmist was crying out to a trusted friend that he knew would be there for him. Let's take this analogy at the beach. How many of you have been at the Ocean City, someplace in the Atlantic? All right. There's some pretty rough surf out there sometime. And you know what else Atlantic City has? It's uh, Ocean City. I'm sorry, I'm in Ocean City. You know where you drop off or you just step off and suddenly you experience that? Remember when you were a little kid and you were about four foot nothing? And you were out in the waves thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to hang ten out here. I'm going to do some serious body surfing. And what happened? Those waves were bigger than you were and they started slapping you down, didn't they? And by the time you stand up, they slap you down again and pretty soon you're going down. And what do you do when they're there? You scream out to your parents on the beach, say, help me, help me, help. And your parents do what? They, come, they, they wave to you and say, have a nice trip. No, they don't. They come save you. They're good parents. I should, I should specify, these are good parents. Yeah, they, they come out and save you because they see you're going down, and you call out because you can trust them. These parents are trustworthy. They will come get you if you're in trouble. And that's exactly the way the psalmist sees God. He sees him as, as a parent who's going to come help him, who's going to be there for him. All right, what kind of God are we lamenting to? If I could reach into your head and just pull out that file that has God's attributes on it, I would have a better sense of what you really believe about God. But let me tell you, you're going to find out otherwise because when 
the crisis times come, that is when our beliefs about God get tested. Is that true? That's when we find out whether we really believe it or not. And if we're going to be able to lament openly and honestly to God, we've got to know what God we're lamenting to. We've got to know what's going on. What kind of guy is this? Does he really care? Okay? Does he really care? Is he a personal God? Right? Because there's, there's lot, lots of us, lots of us in this room. There's thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world. Does God care about each of you individually? Is he able to do that? That's a pretty big database. Man, he's got more friends on Facebook than you can name here, right? Can he really keep track of us all? Can he really personally know what's going on in your life? And if he does care, does he love you enough to do anything? We're back to attributes, aren't we? Does he, in fact, love me? Does he care about me? What are those attributes that we have? Is he aware? Is God so busy somewhere else he's just not aware? Or is he omnipresent? Is he everywhere at all times in his essence? Okay, again, guys, either he is or he ain't. And and what we feel may not be the reality of that, okay? All right, how about is he sovereign? Does he have control of the universe? See, if I had a problem with a company and their product, would I go to the janitor and and kvetch to him about my problem? He might be a nice guy and he would listen to me, but what I need to do if I really want my problem resolved is go upstairs to the executive suites and talk to the CEO. He's the guy that can change things because he is sovereign over that company. I'm not going to stop with the janitor. By the way, we're janitors, guys. You can come convetch to me all you want to, but I'm the janitor. Okay? I can't solve your problem for you. I can listen to you. I can love you. I can pray for you. But you've got to talk to God. Now, what I see about lamenting, and we'll get to more of this later, guys, what we do is lament to each other. And that's fine to complain to each other about what's going on, but what if you miss complaining to God? What is the purpose there? We can't help each other with some of this stuff, but only God has the power to do that. We need to go directly to God every time and lay it out, just like David did. Here's what's going on, Lord. This is how much this hurts. I am in so much trouble. Help me. Deliver me. But instead, we talk to each other. You know, sometimes we start gossiping a little bit, too. Sometimes we even compare how bad our laments are. Yeah? Oh, yeah? Well, my life's worse than yours. You wouldn't believe what happened to me yesterday. And we play one-umpsmanship with our laments instead of going to God and say, here's my deal, Lord, here's what's going on with me, help me. We need to be able to lament to him. Listen to this, our view of God, that is what we truly believe about who he is, will determine whether we lament openly and authentically or not. It will determine whether you actually lament, because if I don't think God cares, I don't think he's powerful, I'm not going to waste my time lamenting to him. All right, so what do we complain about? We complain about a lot of things, can't we? We lament about many things. Here are the three types that we find in Scripture here in the Lament Psalms. We complain about me, we complain about others, and we complain about God. Three things we do there. Troubles with my own self. Listen to this out of uh, Psalms 13, 1 to 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? The psalmist is saying, how long do I have to deal with all this stuff going on inside of me? All my angst, all my anxiety, all these troubles that are just, a, just boil and bubble inside of me. How long do I have to do this? And then in Psalm 40, 12, he says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. You ever been there where your own sins have just overwhelmed you, and you can't even see past them because you've just messed up so bad? And he's lamenting to God about how he's overwhelmed with his own iniquities, his own sins. You ever been there? He's laying this out before God. So we complain about what goes on with us. How about complaints about the actions of others? Anybody ever want to complain about other people's behavior? Mm, Yes, you know that you do, right? 
We were coming back from somewhere yesterday, and this lady next to me decided that she didn't see my 45-foot Suburban and wanted to take my lane. I wasn't on board with this. I, I liked my lane, so she started coming over at me. And, of course, I do my evasive mover and hit the horn or whatever and do a pit maneuver and put it. No, I didn't do that. But she wanted my lane, and I didn't want to give her my lane. I could kvetch about that. I do kvetch about people who just, for whatever reasons, don't look before they change lanes. You ever had that experience? Yikes. I know the body people need to, the body shop people have to make a living too, but I don't really want to exchange paint with anybody if I don't have to. We have a lot we can complain about. We can complain about the behavior of others toward us, yes? How about in your workplace? Are there people there who act badly? Are there people in your family who act badly? We have a lot to lament about, and the psalmist laments a lot about that, especially in terms of his enemies. Psalm 13.2 says, How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long will he triumph over me? How long are you going to let this happen, Lord? And then for vindication, he says in Psalm 43.1, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. Okay? So we kvetch about other people. We kvetch about them. We complain about them. We lament to God about their behavior, just like the psalmist does. All right? How about frustrations with God? Anybody ever been frustrated with God? Has he just not shown up when you wanted him to? All right? Some of us think God is that cosmic vending machine again, right? That he should show up when we need him. Does God show up when we need him? He does. He just doesn't show up in a time I think he should be there. Do you remember when the storm came up on the Sea of Galilee and, the, and, and Jesus was resting, he was, he was sleeping in the front of the boat, and, and, and the disciples were freaking out. They were, their life was flashing before their eyes. They thought they were going down, and he was sleeping. Now, they thought he wasn't showing up on time. Okay? And they came to him and said, what? He said, Master, do you even care? See, he was, they were asking, do you care? Just like the psalmist said, God, do you care? Look, we're, we're dying here. Do you care? You're sleeping. You should have been up here. All right? And what did Christ do? All right? He called him out, and he got up and took care of the ways. Calm, right? Showed up just in time, didn't he? But it doesn't always happen on our timetable, and we can kvetch about God. And listen to 13.1. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you felt that way sometimes? Like God's just not listening. He's not there. He's not paying attention. He's busy somewhere else. His face is gone from you. He's just ignoring you. And then in Psalm 74, 1 to 2, he says, Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Israel was under judgment, and he was wondering, How long is this going to go on? How long are you going to reject us? So we have these complaints, don't we? Complain about me, and we'll complain about you, and then I'm going to complain about God. And there's a lot there to complain about, isn't there? Because life isn't always going the way we want it to go. Is that true? Yes? All right. It doesn't, I promise you. All right, so we need to lament, don't we? We live in a sinful world, yes? I have sin, you have sin. When our sin gets together, it's a pretty ugly thing. And we live in a groaning creation, don't we? The earth is groaning. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole earth, the whole creation, groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. Our creation is groaning. I was saying to Rachel a while back, I was thinking, I can't wait to see what the new heavens and new earth looks like because I kind of like this one. It's beautiful out there. And yet our earth is under condemnation of sin and bad stuff happens. My body is under condemnation of sin. Even though I'm the best-looking guy in this room, I'm still under the best... Yeah, no, don't choke there. Excuse me while I throw up, right? But we still live in a sinful body. We're decaying. It's going down. We've got to admit that, right? Look in the mirror every day. Okay, where'd that gray hair come from? 
we are declining, are we not? Our creation groans, therefore we groan about what is going on around us. We need to groan. It's necessary to lament. We need to be able to talk about straight to God what's going on because stuffing your feelings will make you sick. Do you believe that? Stuffing your feelings will make you sick. And I know in a room this size, there are a number of you who are stuffers. The number of you who put those feelings away because you don't need those, right? You don't need those feelings. What good are they? All they do is upset me. Life is good anyway, right? How about this Redskins? And we motor on and we don't deal with our feelings. We stuff them. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't work. Psalms 32.3 says, when I keep silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David's saying, when I kept my mouth shut and kept all this in, my bones groaned at me. How's that for suffering? Is that working for him? I think not. It's not going to work for you either. We need to release these things that are in our hearts and in our souls and bring them to God and lay them out just as directly and rawly as the, the psalmist did. All right, but what are the problems? There's some problems with getting stuck in the lament stage. You ever seen someone stuck in the lament stage? You know, the whole lifetimes of lament, they never turn that corner. They never make that move and understand who God is and continue into praise. Number one reason for that is, and write this down, unbelief. 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 They do not, or I should say we, do not believe that God is who he says he is. So we don't lament to him. We don't believe that he cares. We don't believe that we can trust him. We get him mixed up with other people in the human world. Big mistake. Right? I don't know what your parents were like. I have no idea what your parents were like, but I'm here to tell you, no matter how wonderful your human father was, he was not God. You know, my father made many mistakes as a a parent, and he did a lot of wonderful things too, but but if you get him confused with your heavenly father, you are going to be very confused, right? Some of us have had parents that we couldn't trust, who didn't act well, who had bad behavior. And if we get other people mixed up with God, we got a problem, don't we? Because God is other. He is not us. He is other. And we don't want to get him confused with us, but we do sometimes. All right, so we need to understand who he is. All right, how about spiritual amnesia? Anybody know what spiritual amnesia is? Spiritual amnesia is when we forget what God has done for us. When our pain is so great that we forget what else God's done for us. The last 400 times, he saved my bacon. I forget about that when I'm in a world of hurt, don't we? Our shelf life, it's like gone. It's like, what have you done for me lately, God? And this next one is really going to be the one that gets me. Right? And we're very prone to that as human beings, aren't we? We think this, this one, uh, God can't handle this one. Okay, so maybe he did a little few things for me back there. But he can't handle this one. And we don't lament to him. We don't lay it out to him because we don't believe that he cares for us. And we forget. The poster children for this are the children of Israel. Remember what they did? And by the way, they paid for it, didn't they? They were whiners. They were genuine whiners. Need one of those shirts that just says whining. He's got a big, big X through it. The children of Israel were whiners. They murmured and complained. God was doing all kinds of amazing things. So he was dropping bread out of the sky for them to feed them. Isn't that cool? Is that, is that all right? And they said, no, nah, it's not good enough. I want Panera. <laughs> and they cried and they complained. And they kvetched. And, and they, they didn't like what was going on because they seemed to have forgotten what God had done for them, the miracles he created to bring them out of the land of Egypt, out of that oppression through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness. And you know what happened to them, by the way? They all died in the wilderness. Yeah? So they paid for their murmuring and complaining, didn't they? None of them saw the promised land because of their unbelief, because of their spiritual amnesia and unbelief. All right, here's another one. Some of us flat out avoid lamenting at all. Some of us flat out just don't admit. I call that Christian stoicism. 
Listen to this quote here from Rich Vincent. He says, We have been taught that good Christians do not experience such crises of faith. Those who do are most likely in sin. If they were more obedient, more disciplined, or more aware of God's guaranteed principles of success and prosperity in life, whether in the word, name it, name it, claim it version, or the fundamentalist, do this and God will bless you formulas, they would not experience such distress. Rather than complain to God, they need to forget their feelings, think positive, try harder, and trust more. What do you think? Some of you have heard that stuff. Is that real? Is that true? Is that how God feels? He does not. He does not. He wants to hear from us. And this doesn't work anyway. It'll leak out around the edges like you can't believe. And the guy says, I don't have any problems. I don't have an anger problem. He kicks the dog and slams the door. Yes, you do. We have problems. It's leaking out around the edges. So God doesn't want us to soldier on. He wants us to be honest. We need to lament and lay it all out to him. All right, here's another one. How about entitlement? Anybody entitled here this morning to a good life? You ever bumped into some entitlement? You know, I have a friend who's entitled, you know. It's not me, it's my friend. Entitlement simply says that I deserve a good life. These bad things that happened to me shouldn't happen. I'm a good guy. White hat, see? I'm a good guy. And God, you messed up. What's going on here? And I'm going to be angry because I didn't get what I thought I had coming. Let me explain something to you real quickly here. What do we deserve according to Scripture? Was it? Death. H-E double hockey sticks. H-E double toothpicks. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. That is what we have coming to us based on our behavior. Do you believe that? So what does that room, does that leave for entitlement? None. Zero. Zip nada. No entitlement. And we get stuck in entitlement. We're going to stay in our laments because we're going to be angry. We're going to be bitter because God is not giving us what we deserve. You've got to thank God he's not giving you what you deserve instead of being feel like you're entitled for it. And here's this last one. Self-pity. Here's a personal favorite. Self-pity, the Eeyore syndrome. What is self-pity about? Poor me? Victim? Sad story? Then let me play my violin for you. Self-pity is based in unbelief. Self-pity says, I'm a victim. The God doesn't care, and I'm going to wallow in my victimhood. And it will leave you stuck in your lament endlessly because you're not going to look to God for who he is and the one that loves you and doesn't see you as a victim. He sees you as a child of God who he wants to help. So hear me now, guys. We must lament. We must vent our spleen so we can get to a place where we can turn that corner and understand that God does love us. And how does this happen? This happens in every one of the lament psalms. There's a pivot point. The psalmist turns the corner. How does he do that? Let me explain something to you. The psalmist's feelings were very powerful, weren't they? You read what David says. He was having a lot of feelings, wasn't he? And our feelings are real. Are they not? Our feelings are real. When I feel something strongly, it's real to me. It's very powerful in my experience. But it's not true. Okay? Stay with me. This is important. I say, you can't make this mistake and have a healthy life. My feelings are real. And you can't tell me I don't have them. I want you to validate my feelings. But see, I can have all kinds of feelings, including that no one cares about me, God doesn't care about me, I'm going to have to go eat some worms, and those are very real to me, but they don't exist in truth outside of me. Because even though I feel that, God still does love me. Even though I feel that, you all care about me. Even though I feel these horrible feelings, it doesn't create a reality out there. It only is mine. And if we get those mixed up, we're going to have a hard time. And when someone says, my feelings are both real and true, I says, you're in deep yogurt. Because you're going to act like what you feel is the truth. And then bad things happen, yes? And the psalmist got through that hump. He laid out his feelings and they were real, but he understood that they did not create a truth about God. They did not create the truth that God doesn't care. 
And how did he know that? Because he was grounded in the truth of who God was. And I want you guys to be grounded in the truth of who God is. So when the feelings come, you will know, I feel this, this is real, but God still loves me. But God is still sovereign. But God is still good. God is still just. He is not dependent on my feelings. Thank God he isn't dependent on my feelings, because my feelings change. If God was created after my feelings, that would be a terrible thing. But he remains who he is, even though I'm in a world of hurt. It's very important we understand that. So this shift, this pivot point is intentional, where I choose the truth that I know from Scripture over my feelings. I've got to do that, because if I don't, I'm going to stay stuck in my feelings and consider them to be truth, and that will be a bad thing for all of us. Listen to this here. Psalm 77.10 says, Then I thought, get that, Then I thought, the psalmist says, To this I will appeal the years of the right hand of the Most High. So he's thinking now. He's remembering. His brain is engaged. He's remembering about what God did for him. And then he says next in verse 11, I will remember. Now he's using his mind again, isn't he? He has to remember what God has done for him. He's remembering the deeds of the Lord. Then he goes on in verse 12, he says, I will meditate. So now he's still thinking, is I will meditate on all your works and consider your mighty deeds. He's turned the corner. He's back and looking at God now, isn't he? And what God has done for him. He says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So he remembers them. And every place in these lament psalms, and I want you to get this because this is something we have to do as we write our laments. We need to get to that point where we turn the corner. Here's a couple more here. This is Psalm 31. He says, but I trust in you, O Lord. But, that's a huge but, isn't it? He's saying, despite what's going on for me, despite all the stuff that's bad that's happened to me, but I trust you, O Lord. That's a big turn there, isn't it? He says, you are my God. So he affirms who God is. Then he says in another section here, this is Psalm 42, 7, he says, Therefore, I remember you. So he's still thinking now. He's remembering. His brain's engaged. His memory's working. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. He remembers. The key to turning the corner here, guys, is remembering who God is and knowing who God is. Not setting up the God you think in your head, but the real God, the true God that has these attributes we've been studying. All right, and here's my personal favorite because this one goes directly into the essence of why the psalmist could rely on God, why he could turn that corner and trust God and love God. It says here in Psalm 13, 5, it says, But I trust in your unfailing love. Unfailing. Think about that for a second. There's nothing in my life that doesn't ultimately fail. Nothing. I fail, you fail, my car fails, this building someday will not exist. Everything around me fails. The only thing that does not fail is God's love for me. It is a covenant love. He made a deal, and not a deal like we make. We make deals, we go back on them, don't we? We make deals, okay, sorry, I can't do that. And we're Indian givers sometimes too, aren't we? We go back on our deals. God does not go back on his deal. He cannot go back on his deal because of his character. So when he has unfailing love, or in other places it's rendered loving kindness, it is a covenantal love to us that he has promised and he will never go back on. And that's what allows us to turn the corner, his commitment to deliver us from the pains of this world and the attacks of our enemies, the unfailing love of God. And the psalmist got that. The psalmist got the unfailing love. That's how he could do that. Because remember, his circumstances hadn't changed yet. He was still in deep yogurt. And yet he said, I will trust you because of your unfailing Hasid love. That's, that's the Hebrew word, Hasid love. Am I saying that right, Mike? Close enough for, for horseshoes, hand grenades, and, and Hebrew for me, right? Hasid love, it, it describes this covenant love that God has made, that the psalmist absolutely had his complete faith in. He puts his full weight 
on God's seed love. And he believes in it. And that's what allows him to turn that corner. And that's what will allow you to turn the corner, that unfailing love of God. So remember, what happens here is he thinks, he moves past his feelings, he remembers God's faithfulness to him, and he changes his perspective and, and, and looks at his troubles and his enemies as being in the past and God's character and how seed love as being the most important thing. And then, and then we can praise. As you look at the rest of the psalm, what happens? He breaks in this rant of praising God for all the wonderful works he's done. Psalm 77, he just goes on about who God is and, and how, how wonderful he is and how his works are and how he is, is full of majesty and power. And that's where we need to get. All right? I know you've been drinking out of fire hose this morning. But take a big drink because there's more where this came from. We want you to understand what it means to lament, what it means to turn the corner and get to place where we can all together as a body praise God for who he really is. All right, so now we're going to move into a time of bread and cup. And here's what I want you to do, guys. And I really hope God's been talking to you some this morning. I, I can guarantee you that there are some of you who really don't believe God is who he says he is. I believe that, that, that you're not sure that he really does love you. Some of your experiences say, I don't really think God loves me. I don't feel God's love. I don't, I don't think he cares about me. And some of you don't believe that God's sovereign. He's all-powerful. Some of you don't believe he's good. Some of you don't believe he's personal. He actually has love for you. And I want you to understand this. And if that is something God is speaking to you about, I want you to confess to him, guys, because unbelief is sin. Will you hear me on that? Unbelief is sin. And I want you to believe what God tells you about who he is. And if you don't, I want you to confess to him, the Lord, I... I I admit that I don't believe this, and I, I want to believe. I want you to help me with that. Help me in my unbelief there so I can trust you completely because the times of crisis will come, guys. The times of crisis will come. I don't wish them on you. I don't wish any of this on you, but it's there. And if there's not one today, there will be one tomorrow. It's the life we live when we have trials and tribulations. So I want you to be able to turn to God and lay out your troubles to him and knowing that he genuinely cares. So do some business with God during this time. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to show you. And then start working on your lament. You know, I'm going to guess if I went around the room, you would always say, here's what's going on in my life. I got some laments. I got some problems. I got things going on. Okay? And don't tell the janitor. Tell the CEO. Tell God. He needs to know about that. Okay? Thanks.